Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wounded Blue Hour here on the America Out Loud Network. I'm your host, Randy Sutton, a 34-year law enforcement veteran, the author of a number of books, including A Cop's Life and the soon-to-be-released Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. I'm also the founder of an organization called The Wounded Blue. The Wounded Blue is the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. This show is dedicated to the physical, mental, emotional, health, and well-being of the American law enforcement community. And uh, I have a great guest waiting for us in the wings. But first, let's do our reality check where we eulogize the officers who have lost their lives in the line of duty since our last show. And uh, I have two names to read today. The first is Lieutenant Milton Resendez of the San Benito Police Department in Texas. Lieutenant Milton Resendez was shot and killed during a police pursuit on uh, North Sam Houston Boulevard in San Benito. At 10.58 p.m., the San Benito Police Department was notified that a fleeing vehicle being pursued by the Texas Department of Public Safety was entering their jurisdiction. Lieutenant Resendez was traveling north and uh, when the fleeing vehicle approached from the southbound lanes, the subject fired at the patrol vehicle. One bullet hit the front of his vehicle, the second struck the driver's side door. One of the bullets pierced the abdomen of Lieutenant Resendez uh, below his vest. He was transported to the hospital where he succumbed to his wounds. Two subjects were arrested after a pit maneuver stopped their vehicle, and they've been charged with evading arrest, aggravated assault, and capital murder. Lieutenant Resendez has served the San Benito Police Department for 27 years, previously served with the Brownsville PD and Palm Valley Police Department. Lieutenant Milton Resendez, San Benito Police Department, Texas. End of watch, Thursday, October 17, 2023. The second is Correctional Officer 1, Kelly Bernard Rolando of Missouri Department of Corrections. Correctional Officer Kelly Rolando was killed in a vehicle crash, 7.14 p.m. Uh, on the 54 Bypass in Mexico, Missouri. Officer Rolando is returning to the Northeast Correctional Center in Bowling Green from a temporary assignment at the University Hospital when he collided head-on with the vehicle traveling southbound. He and the driver of the other vehicle were killed instantly. Officer Rolando has served the Missouri Department of Corrections for eight years. Correctional Officer 1 Kelly Bernard Rolando, Missouri Department of Corrections, end of watch Sunday, October 22nd. 2023. Each of these officers gave their lives in the line of duty serving their communities. In addition to the officers who lost their lives um, so far this year, we are at more than 300 shootings of police officers. Astounding number, an astounding number. And it shows that the uh, constant danger um, uh, to law enforcement officers is something that plays a role in their lives every single day. That's why we owe it to them to do a show like this, which celebrates them, honors them, and gives some um, uh, advice and a dignity when it comes down to the issues that they face, both physical, emotional, and psychological. So, um, without further ado, let, is, let me get to our guest. I'm going to introduce him to you. I have his bio right here. 
Uh, his name is Conrad Weaver. He is an award-winning documentary filmmaker, podcast host, speaker, producer, and director with a passion for telling stories that matter. Conrad has been telling stories through documentary films for more than 15 years, and his films and work have taken him from the slums of Guatemala and orphanages in Ukraine to the halls of Congress and Capitol Hill, and everywhere in between. Whenever Conrad takes on a film project, he dives deep into the culture to get to know the story and become an expert on the subject. His films have won many prestigious awards, including a regional Emmy Award. Whether it's through his films or his podcast, Conrad's goal is to inspire others to live a life of meaning and purpose. Conrad's most recent film is called PTSD 911, which tells the story about first responders and their struggle with PTSD and trauma. Currently, uh, Conrad hosts the First Responder Wellness Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and wherever podcasts are downloaded. So welcome to the show, Conrad. Well, thank you, Randy. It's great to be here. It's uh, uh, We had a great conversation last week uh, in your home city there in Las Vegas, and so it's great to be here on the on the program today. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. So let's let's talk a little bit about Conrad Weaver for a moment. You know, um, tell me what a little bit about more about your background. I read your bio, but that doesn't really tell the story. Tell me where you grew up and what inspired you to to take on filmmaking as your avocation. Well, it's a great question. I have a, a, a windy path to uh, becoming a filmmaker. I uh, grew up in uh, what, what my kids call Amish country or Amish world in Ohio. I grew up actually in the Mennonite community and I never watched TV or went to movies all my growing up years uh, as an adolescent. And uh, I think I was 20 the first time I ever went to a movie theater. But uh, over the course of the years, I always carried a camera with me and I went and got a degree in psychology. And through the course of a variety of jobs, ended up uh, working for a nonprofit and uh, producing some videos for this nonprofit. And that grew until, until people started seeing my work and started hiring me to do corporate work on the side. And uh, in 2010, I started working on my first feature length documentary film. It was a story about agriculture called The Great American Wheat Harvest. And it was a fantastic story and really launched my documentary career. I won a regional Emmy for that film after it played on a local PBS channel and really uh, kind of fell in love with storytelling and specifically stories that matter. I, I, I look for stories that uh, aren't being told and uh, do a deep dive, like I said in the bio, to kind of a deep dive into those stories and to find out what um, what is interesting about them and then to share those stories with the world, uh, stories that perhaps aren't told in other venues. and so. Uh, that's what I've been doing for the past uh, approximately 15 years, and I love it. I uh, recently, a few years ago, started podcasting as well. It's another form of storytelling. I'm getting an old, I'm becoming older, and it's harder and harder to slip gear across the country and across the world. So I love podcasting and telling stories right here from my studio. I, well, I, I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, your latest film. PTSD 911 is some is different than any of your other projects because you have decided to dive into the world of first responders. And, you know, um, post-traumatic stress is something that uh, every cop understands 
not mm -hmm. all deal with um, properly. Uh, we get it. We know what it is. But it's still, it's still a very, very misunderstood condition, if you will. Um, Absolutely. What was it that drew you to tell this story in, the, in this manner? Yeah, that's a great question. It was, it was about five years ago. I was actually on a ride along uh, with a, a police officer uh, working on another film about the opioid crisis. And we were, uh, we were called to an overdose scene. And as we rolled up onto the scene, uh, we heard through dispatch that it was a fatal overdose. And so that wasn't anything that I was used to or comfortable with. And we went into the scene and of course, as you well know, and, and other first responders know, it's a chaotic scene. Um, there was a body laying there and uh, the first responders on the scene were like, it's just Tuesday, you know, it's just a normal day. And I was like, whoa, what do we just see here? What do we experience here? And that got me into doing research about how traumatic scenes affect first responders. And I went back to the officer that I was with that day. And I said, uh, I said, hey, is like PTSD a thing with you guys? I mean, I didn't know. And she said, oh, my goodness, if you only knew the half of it. And then she said, if you want to make a documentary about that, I'll do anything I can to help you not realizing she would become one of the main characters in in the film that is now called PTSD 911. And so that's what launched me into this. And uh, as I do in, in making films, I do a deep dive and I connect with people from all uh, areas of first responders and to understand the culture of first responders. Uh, I live in, in, in Emmitsburg, Maryland, which is the home of the National Fire Academy. So there's a lot of firefighting activity here a lot of firefighters in our community. And so I connected with them locally. And then I'm, I connected with law enforcement uh, uh, agencies from all across the country to uh, to tell this story. And it's a story that matters. And it's a story that the general public, I, I don't think understands. They really don't understand what first responders actually do and what, what you guys face. And so my job is to tell that story in a way that is compelling, that is accurate, that is true, and that will inspire people to be more supportive of first responders. And that's really, you know, you know, one of the goals we have is to to really inspire people to say, hey, we need to do more for our first responders. It's a big chunk to, to be biting off. There's no doubt about that. And you, you said something that I found interesting, and that is that, that um, you didn't really have any concept of post-traumatic stress before you went for that ride along. And, right. and I find that interesting that, um, that that was your first exposure and, and that got the juices rolling, if you will, to, um, to create this film. So if, if, and, and you're a very aware guy, I mean, your, your sure. whole business is about learning and, and telling stories about, about life. And so I find it interesting that that wasn't even on your radar. So what do you think? No. The, the the American public, do you, it's not on their radar either, is it? Absolutely, it's not. It's it's one of those things that I think the general pop, you know, population they know that you know they call nine one one. They know someone's going to show up, and they know that. Uh, I mean, I think we, and I was aware that you guys face first responders face you know horrific things, never really realizing how those horrific things impact you on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, 
you know, when someone says PTSD, uh, we generally immediately go to veterans, you know, being I've never been uh, on the business end of a gun uh, in a war zone. Uh, I, I never want to be there, uh, but I can imagine what that trauma is like. That's where the general public, that's what we think of when we think of PTSD or trauma. We don't think of our first responders who are exposed to these kind of things over and over again and how that can wear on someone's mind and on their life. And, and like someone said in my film, we outsource our trauma to our first responders. And, and I say that, you know, that first responders carry the weight of the traumas they have experienced on their shoulder. They carry the weight of the world on their shoulders, uh, you know, because of the things that uh, they experience and, and have to do. And they, you, you know, first responders see things and do things that no one should have to see and do, but they do it anyway. And so that's that's heroic to me. What was what was uh, one of the greatest learning experiences for you as you were, you know, uh, doing these interviews and and filming? What 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 was the growth like? The personal growth for you? Well, it would for me personally. It was, you know, it it forced me to look at myself. And the things that I have experienced, uh, you know, over the years, I, I've obviously I've not been on some of these scenes that uh, many of you know, your viewers and listeners have been, but I've experienced some trauma in my life, and and so and and actually there was a, a moment in time when I was, um, you know, I was suffering from from nightmares from an experience I had with uh, an organization and. Uh, as a part of that, as a part of doing this film, I uh, discovered a way to help eliminate those nightmares and, and through a, a process called uh, Tactical Resilience Protocol. And we feature that in my film and I was able to go through that process. And since I've not, I've not had a nightmare about that. And so it really helped me look at myself in a new way and realize that, you know, I need to do a better job of taking care of myself. But as far as learning about first responders, I really learned that the importance of self-care and the importance of helping first responders understand self-care, that it's, yes, it is, it is the agency's responsibility to provide the resources, but it's also the individual responsibility to take care of ourselves, to, to you know, have a healthy lifestyle, to, to be aware of what we eat and what we put into our bodies and the exercise that we get or not or, or don't get so that we can perform at the highest level. It's just like an athlete. If you have an elite athlete, they, you know, they have an exercise routine. They have a, they have a dietary plan. They have all these things that will help them perform at the peak level. And I think that's something that our first responders need to really look into is how can they perform at the peak level? How can they do the job effectively and, and, and do it successfully? And not only successfully in the moment, but do it successfully in the long term. Because I think that's the big, that, that's the huge challenge, as you know. You know, you know, doing these things and having these it, these incidents over and over again, and you throw in a few critical incidents every, you know, every couple of weeks, those things add up. And if we don't take care of ourselves, those things are going to add up and they're going to cause our lives to go off the rails. And so... For me personally, it, it helped me to look at that. And that's one reason I took, uh, we can we can talk about this later, but we I, I, I took a bike ride this summer. 
I spent uh, nine weeks plus on a bicycle riding across the country. And it was totally a mental health thing for me to, to see the country slow, to be present, to be in the moment and to learn more about myself. And I think that's uh, really it, it, doing this film, producing this film helped me grow as an individual uh, and help me uh, be more self-aware. And hopefully the people who see the film and experience it can begin that process too, if they're not already in it. Now, um, you, you, you interviewed a number of people for this film. Yes. And um, during our conversation, when you were visiting Vegas, you related to me that there was a tragic set of circumstances that occurred after the film. Would you, right. uh, would you mind talking about that? Yeah, so in our film, uh, one of the main subjects in our film was Nicole Ford, and she was a 911 dispatcher. Um, she was a part of the, uh, the, the Boston Police Department during the Boston Marathon bombing and participated as a dispatcher uh, in, in that event, a pretty significant event. And then she was also involved in several other events, including a police-involved shooting uh, where an officer got shot. She was a primary dispatcher on that scene. And all these things that she experienced has you know, deeply impacted her. And through the course of her life, she made a move to South Dakota and in the film, we talk about that. She, we, you know, she started a new life there, and um, she was in a good place, in a better place. Yeah, well, she ended up losing her job in South Dakota, but after that, was uh, working for a company, and was in a good place. And uh, the film, we finished production of the film in August of '22, so a little over a year ago, and then we premiered the film uh, on November third. Uh, last year of, uh, of 22. And uh, she came to premiere. Uh, she actually participated in a film festival event in Wisconsin in February, was a part of that event and was able to share her story there in person with the folks attending. And in the process of all that, she ended up moving back home to her home state of Maine. And, uh, but the struggle was real. The struggle continued with her and unknowns to many of us, the struggle was deep. And in August, August of this year, she ended her own life. And it was a real kick in the teeth for us. Uh, not realizing that, you know, here was someone who's in our film, we told her story, and she uh, couldn't see through the darkness and couldn't see hope. And uh, yeah, it, it was a really tough moment for me to have a subject in my film who is no longer with us and now having to do these screenings around the country and talk about that. And it's, uh, it's really hard. It's really hard. And, but it, for me, it put into, it, it was like, okay, this is so important. We have to double down on these things to take care of our first responders. And it just made the, the subject so much more urgent for us and and the importance of checking on people um you know it's easy to carry guilt to say hey you know maybe i didn't check on her maybe i should have called her one more time maybe i should have texted her one more time it's easy to carry that but ultimately i'm not responsible uh to save her life you know that was something she had every opportunity to do that and we wish deeply that she would have done that and seeing seeing the hope that we could see uh, but she couldn't and uh you know so my hope is that when people see this film and see her story they're inspired 
because she did get help at one point. In fact, we, we had a screening event uh, soon after her funeral and a, a gentleman came up to me and said, I'm a 911 dispatcher and I want you to know that Nicole saved my life. And I was like, please tell me about that. And he said she was on a podcast a few years before and told her story of reaching out and getting help. And he said, it inspired me to do the same and it saved my life. And so her story matters. Her story still has meaning, has purpose, and is still making a difference. And even in her death, um, it still makes a difference for people. And so we're really appreciative of her. We're, we're thankful for her family who supports this film 100% and is excited every time we announce a new screening. I get comments on you know, social media from her family saying we're so glad that she her story still matters. What, a, what an incredible, um, sad story. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this, though, because, you know, when you talk about post-traumatic stress injury, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, I refer to it as injury because it is mm -hmm. treatable. Um, there are some that, that, uh, th that criticize and... Uh, dispatchers, uh, law enforcement personnel that are that are involved in the in the in the police communications world, because mm -hmm. they're not experiencing it. They're not the ones on the scene, right? Right. It's the cops that are on the scene, or the <laughs> or the fire department that's on the mm -hmm. scene. They're witnessing it, but the reality is that they play a critical role, and they are as part mm -hmm. of that scene, even though they may not physically be there. But they are also um, very, very susceptible to post-traumatic stress injury. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm really glad that we're having this conversation because they're, they're kind of like unsung heroes. Hmm. You know, they, they're, they're experiencing it from a, from a level where they're actively engaged. Sometimes, you know, they're literally, they hear the police officer that they're, that they may not even know personally, mm -hmm. but it, that 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 a police officer may even be shot, may be killed, and they mm -hmm. are helpless to do anything other than do what they do as a communications expert. Yeah. And so I, I I just really am, am um, uh, I'm happy that you were able to bring her story out and expose to the world. Uh, something that is misunderstood, even in the law enforcement community, that yeah. these people play such a vital role, and yet they too can be um, can yeah. be susceptible to post traumatic stress injury. You know, for many years, most nine one one communicators were listed as secretarial, and they weren't listed as first responders. And so there's a there's a movement among the states to list these 911 communicators as first responders and many states have adopted that now but for many many years they weren't they were listed as secretarial and really that kind of demeans what they do uh, they absolutely are a part of the scene and you know it, it and this to be honest it wasn't part of my film originally until i had a, had a conversation with a local 911 uh, dispatcher who said have you considered 911? I said, well, tell me about that. And he said, well, we hear it, we imagine it in our brain, and then we don't get closure many times. And so those things become, they weigh heavy on a dispatcher. And sometimes I've heard 
I've heard stories of where dispatchers have heard someone's last breath. They were there, you know, on the phone when someone breathed their last breath. And, and oftentimes 911 communicators, they are on, on a call and they have to handle just crazy amounts of emotion, you know, on the other line and they have to speak calmly and they keep their composure while they're solving this problem. And so they're on the screen, they're making all kinds of other decisions, you know, while they're in the middle of this person's crisis and they handle that with grace and professionalism. And it's amazing. And as a citizen, you know, we, anybody anywhere can dial those three numbers and someone's going to show up and someone's going to answer the phone and someone's going to show up. You know, we, we often don't think about those people who answer the phone and are, are taking care of that emergency, but they are human beings just like all the rest of us have emotions and feelings. And, and when you hear something and perhaps it's, uh, an infant who is not breathing and they connect them with, uh, the EMTs and okay, EMTs are not going to take care of it. Now they go home wondering, did that little baby live? Yeah, you're 100 percent right. I, but once again, was I, I fast enough? Was I did I dispatch that crew fast yeah, enough? You know? Yeah. Well, we got to take a quick break and uh, we'll be right back. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix Rx. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix Rx is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with oxy powder it's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas bloating and occasional constipation there's a reason why oxy powder is our number one seller it worked go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15 percent off using the code OUTLOUD. global healing giving you the power to take control of your health naturally one nation coffee one nation coffee patriotic uh, veteran-owned, uh, very, very good coffee. I w actually went down and visited their roasting facility and met with the folks down there, uh, John and his crew, and they are amazing people. The coffee is delicious. You order it online, they bring it right to your house. 
You can get the ground coffee. You can get beans. I like to grind my own. They've got uh, also got these, uh, you know, the the containers that you put in your Kerrig or whatever that thing is called. So um, One Nation Coffee. Go to OneNationCoffee.com. Order your coffee, and uh, you'll get great coffee, and you'll be supporting uh, a patriotic company that supports the Wounded Blue. So uh, go to OneNationCoffee.com. I want to tell you about a company that is doing some amazing work in helping law enforcement officers, uh, their safety. It's called, uh, and I, the name doesn't really do it justice, I, I don't think, but it, it, it's, it tells you kind of like what it is, officerprivacy.com. Officerprivacy.com is a law enforcement-owned company that does some amazing work. Now, I didn't even give any consideration to this until uh, Pete, the owner of the company, told me about how easy it is to find personal information about me, you, your family on the internet. I mean, information that you don't want people to know about, such as your address, where you live, the cars you drive, etc. So what officerprivacy.com does they have a team of, and everybody on their team is a is a current or former law enforcement officer. He doesn't employ anybody else for this amazing work. They will go onto the internet and they will scrub the information away. Now they found like 36 pieces of personal information about me that could literally lead somebody to my house. That makes me really uncomfortable. And they were able to take that information and remove it. So I urge you, if you're law enforcement or have been law enforcement, go to officerprivacy.com. It is not expensive. They do, and they do all the work. Now, if you are really handy, they'll and you, you know the computer real well, they'll actually teach you how to do it yourself. But <laughs> that's not for a guy like me. Uh, but go to officerprivacy.com. Let them know that Randy sent you, and uh, and I, I guarantee you, you're going to see some. Incredible results. Officerprivacy.com. All right. I also want to talk while we're on this break about the Wounded Blue. The Wounded Blue is an incredible organization. It is the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers, a nationwide charity that needs your help. The whole team of, uh, of officers involved with the Wounded Blue uh, are all officers who have faced serious physical or emotional injury in the line of duty. Many have been permanently disabled by it, and yet they continue to serve. What do they do? They provide peer support for other injured and disabled officers. You know, when you get hurt in the line of duty, um, there's a uh, everybody thinks that, that you get well taken care of, the great medical department takes care of you, and very often that is not the case. It is quite the opposite. And everybody's journey is different. Everybody's journey is very, very lonely, but it doesn't have to be. That's why the Wounded Blue exists, to help with that journey, because it can feel very, very lonely out there. If you can read my shirt, it says, never forgotten, never alone. 
which is the motto of the Wounded Blue. And there's uh, some amazing resources at, at our disposal. So if you are a law enforcement officer or have been and are struggling, uh, you know, the very you know topic that we're talking about today, post-traumatic stress, um, we, we understand that injuries don't have to be physical to be very, very damaging, even fatal. Uh, that's what post-traumatic stress is. That's why I'm so happy to have my guest on uh, today who, who did a film about it. But the reality is this. Post-traumatic stress can be as deadly as a bullet. So go to thewoundedblue.org if you need help. Contact us. But I also want to urge you, if you have the opportunity, to go onto our website and donate to it. These men and women need your help. And this is a nationwide charity. So go to thewoundedblue.org, hit that donate button. Please do 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month. It's not even coffee money. And uh, you might just save a life. So let's get back to our guest, Conrad Weaver, the uh, filmmaker who created this new film that uh, very timely that we're talking about. Um, so we were talking about, about the, the role of the dispatchers and how they are, and I, I, I say they're unsung heroes because uh, they're, they're, like you said, they're, they're only now being even considered first responders in many jurisdictions. So um, I'm really happy that, that you brought that up and the tragic story about the, the woman who, you know, was participated in your film and then her taking her own life. I mean, I, I can't get, I, does it get any more poignant than that? That, uh, yeah. and, you know, it, 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 and I, I don't know that there is ever, that you're ever cured of post-traumatic stress injury. I don't know that that, that, that exists. You deal with it. You learn to live with it. You learn to manage it. But does I, I just don't know if it ever completely heals over and is and is no longer a factor in your life. Because every single I'm, I'm sure this is something you discovered that every person is different and responds differently to trauma. Mm -hmm. And responding to trauma, your 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 body, your mind. Everybody processes things differently. Uh, but I think, did, did you find when you were doing your research that now more than ever, there are actually, there, there's more understanding about post-traumatic stress injury than ever before. Did you find that? Absolutely. There's, there's, there's so much more research on, uh, I mean, even on the brain, on how the brain works and how it impacts our lives. There, there's research that uh, tells us, you know, how all these traumatic things can impact us. And, 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 and what I've learned is that so much of, and, and, and so many first responders, especially, are, uh, you know, have, have grown up in situations that may not be ideal. And so they grew up in chaos. And so now they want to become the helpers because they want to fix things. And so they become the helpers. They become the first responders. Well, you're still carrying those childhood traumas into your adult life and into your career. And so that happens a lot. And I, I've seen in just on my kind of anecdotal um, experiences, have seen those who seem to be handling stress and trauma better, perhaps I can't prove this, but, but perhaps have had fewer traumatic childhood experiences. And that, that I think the more 
trauma you've experienced in your early childhood, I think the harder it is to deal with some of the things that come up later in life. And I, I, and for all three of the main subjects in my film, that was the case. They all had very deep traumatic childhood experiences, and those uh, you know, played a, that played a role in in handling. In fact, we we talk about it in the film. Maddie, the firefighter, talks about you know he'd go on a call, uh, and if those calls dealt with uh, children, it affected him deeply because of his own childhood experiences. And so um, I think we have learned in, you know, through science and through through studies, how to mitigate some of these things and how we can we can learn practices, daily practices that help us handle uh, the stresses and the, and the traumas that have come our way. And unfortunately, so many first responder agencies in the past historically have not prepared their people for these things. Uh, I had an old timer, a firefighter, uh, you know, volunteer firefighter. I think he was a chief at one point told me, yeah, back in my day, how we dealt with it was, uh, suck it up. Here's a beer. And that's become the, the standard that that was the standard for many, many years. And unfortunately we have seen the results of that as, you know, alcoholism among first responders is uh, way above the national norms. And then all the other things, you know, divorce rates, the, I think the divorce rates are averaging 75% of first responders, you know, are involved in a divorce. And, and so we have not done well historically in, in preparing first responders. And so part of what my initiative is with the film is to help agencies, to help city leaders, to help the bean counters say, Hey, we need to provide more resources to help our first responders uh, deal with and cope with the traumas, not only to fix it on the back end, which is expensive, but to prevent it on the front end. If we can teach people in the academy, you know, how to deal with these things, how to breathe, how to perhaps even do things like yoga. And I know I had a firefighter out of Cal Fire tell me, man, if you'd have told me three or four years ago that I'd be doing yoga, I'd have laughed in your face. <laughs> and he said, but now I do this because I see what it does for me. And it helps me. It helps me deal with the stuff that we face. And so I think there's a huge push in, in a lot of places that to provide these kind of resources and training for people when they're first starting out in this career, but, but it hasn't been the case in, in years past. You know, uh, you're absolutely right that this is something that needs to be talked about at the, at the very beginning of the career of a first responder, right absolutely. in the academy, right in the academy. Yep. And um, because, you know, if you are prepared with the knowledge that you're going to be facing these things. And, 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 you know, here's the reality is this, that every reaction is normal, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Because that's, mm -hmm. that's where the, that's where we get affected is we think we're abnormal. Oh my God, why am I feeling this way? Mm -hmm. I can't tell anybody about it. Mm -hmm. And so if, if we can prepare our newer officers or our newer firefighters, you know what? You're going to see things that you that no human being is meant to see. You're mm -hmm. gonna you're gonna be playing a role that uh, that is is very very misunderstood. I mean, mm -hmm. even going into law enforcement, where do we get the ideas about law enforcement? We get it from TV. We get it from movies. We get we 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 get a fictionalized version mm -hmm. 
And then we go into this profession and holy hell, mm-hmm. this is real. Yeah, and, TV and, and, and you're absorbing have, the pain of other people. That they have, These shows have given us a clean version of, of law enforcement, right? Because they can't show the things that you guys have seen. I mean, if they would, I mean, it'd be rated, probably rated X, you know, yeah. for some of the things, you know. And so the general public would be, a, would be shocked to see what you guys see and and have to deal with i remember a few years ago here locally in in maryland there was a uh, there was a, a a homicide suicide uh, a, a man took out his whole family kids his wife and the sheriff told me he said i've never been on a scene that was so horrific you know where it was just absolutely horrible and no one should have to see that but you do right and so to prepare a first responder for that and, and not only just to let them know hey you're going to see this stuff because that's what someone told me one time yeah yeah we were told yeah you're going to see stuff well okay what can i do to prepare my brain what can i do in a situation like that while i see stuff what can i do to prevent you know me from going off the rails after seeing these things and, and experiencing these things and to carry them home what are some practices that i can do that keep me healthy that keep my brain healthy i think that's the important thing is that is to to have to learn those things and to practice those things. I love what Cal Fire is doing, and I and I talk about them a lot because they're doing some amazing things at the academy. In fact, they told me that we teach mental health wellness before we even teach anyone to pull hose or to throw ladders. We teach those things about your brain first because that's important. And I think. I wish more and more first responder agencies would do that. Start with the, with yourself first, how to be healthy physically, how to be healthy spiritually, emotionally, uh, and all the things before you start learning how to shoot or how to arrest somebody or how to throw hose or how to treat, uh, you know, someone with a heart disease. Uh, I think those are the things that we need to have our first responders learn first, because I think they will then, if you teach those things up front, then they will have the tools in their tool belt. It's just like you, you, and you guys are issued tactical vests, right? And what's that for? To protect yourself, protect yourself from bullets that some bad guy may fire at you. Well, if you have these tools to protect yourself mentally, physically, emotionally, all these things, then you'll be better prepared when those bad things happen. Well, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up because that. As you know, uh, you know, you and I had this discussion about the Wounded Blue, and each year we have a National Law Enforcement Survival Summit. We just had our third annual one in Las Vegas just last month, and that that is exactly what this summit is is designed to do: is to give people those tools, those law enforcement officers. Um, every aspect of surviving a law enforcement career, physically, tactically, emotionally, psychologically, financially, relationships, spiritually, all these, all these topics that are rarely, rarely um, talked about, especially in one particular training area. And so the Wounded Blue is on the cutting edge of providing that training and, and those presentations because you are absolutely right, it's vital. Now, the, the problem is that the people that are coming to the summit are experienced police officers. Some have, have already gone through or 
their entire career, and others are, you know, at the at the, uh, you know, they've been on a couple of years, but almost everybody that comes has some time on. They're, we're not getting to those those brand new cops with this with this presentation. So I really wish that we could expand that, and uh, but at least we're 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 approaching it um, in that holistic way. That look, there's a whole bunch of different um, topics here that are going to help prepare you for the trauma that you're going to eventually be exposed to. So um, let me ask you this. Were from the from your experience, were there any like major takeaways that you got from? I mean, from from your from your position, your vantage point, mm-hmm. where you're putting all this on film, you're doing the 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 research, and then you're actually you know behind the camera. Any major takeaways that that really you know maybe changed you a little bit? Yeah, I think. I think the one thing that I learned dealing with all different types of first responders is the camaraderie and the the friendship and the bonds that they have and and how those things can really impact you know how they work and how they live but but the challenge with that is there's you know the rank and file has all these bonds but then also in as as the national fop in their research study have learned that the number one stressor for first responders and especially law enforcement is institutional the institutional stress the the stress that comes from the agency and from the leaders that maybe aren't doing what the things that they need to do and and so for me it's like if we can have agencies that are healthy and are providing the resources they need for their officers and their members on the street who are who are working with the, with the public then we will have better communities you know someone once said i was at an event and someone said you know if we have healthy first responders then they are going to make healthier decisions and healthier choices and as a citizen i i i beg to, to have healthy first responders in our community because that makes us have, have it helps us have a better and safer community. And so as you know, for you, for my role is I'm on a mission to help first responders get better, to improve themselves in all areas of life. Like you mentioned, mentally, physically, spiritually, all the things, because I know if we as a community can provide the resources and can provide uh, the encouragement and the support for our first responder communities, we're going to have better communities because of it. And so many of these things that happen that we see on the evening news don't necessarily need to happen. They happen because perhaps there was a breakdown in care, perhaps there was a lack of training, perhaps there was a lack of self-care. and those things happen because people aren't healthy and we see it end up on the evening news and and i really prefer to have less bad things happen on the you know that show up on the evening news i I want our law enforcement to be healthy i want them to make good choices i want our firefighters to do the right thing uh when they're treating someone i want them to to be healthy themselves and to go home and to to have a healthy family relationship because all that put together gives us better communities, better, you know, better and healthier communities. And as a citizen, that makes me feel better when we have healthier communities. 
Now, you brought up something that is uh, critical, and that is the institutional issues that, uh, that cause post-traumatic stress injury. You know, um, one thing I've seen, especially when involving uh, uh, the physical injury to law enforcement officers, uh, they can get hurt, but very often it is the way they are treated after they are injured, which what which causes the deeper injury, the post-traumatic stress injury. Mm-hmm. If they had been treated with dignity, with respect, with, with uh, compassion after their physical injury, then oftentimes that physical injury would heal. They would be, and they would go back to work or, you know, in the, in the, you know, in the extreme, if they can't ever go back to work, um, they would go about their, their life. But one of the things that we have seen is, is the absolute lack of regard for a police officer when they're physically injured. Literally, sometimes they are just tossed away. And so that becomes the the more devastating injury than even the physical part, sure. and that and, and you're so I'm glad you brought that up. And I, I you know, d- did you address that in your film? We did in a roundabout sort of way. In fact, the officer in our film is dealing with some some physical injuries, and and she was basically dismissed because of it, uh, and and lost her job, uh, and. and in, in a way that is was was horrible. It was a horrible experience for her, and and she's still dealing with that. You know, even in several years later, uh, you know. And you and I have both heard stories of other people who have, you know, been been physically disabled and just cast to the side. These are human beings, you know. And now, if you're just throwing them to the side, you're not giving them the resources they they put into their. Uh, th- their career to, to get this career and they spend a lot of time and energy and, and the agency spent a lot of money to train them to get them to where they can be you know productive in their career and we just toss them aside how much money are we losing you know it, it comes down to dollars and cents if you know if someone is disabled but their brain works and they're able to function in other capacities why are we just tossing them aside why aren't we giving them giving them something to do? They're passionate about their job. They're passionate about their work. Okay, they got injured. You know, I'm feeling for a, an officer here in Maryland just recently was run over by a vehicle and uh, uh, intentionally run over by a vehicle and lost both of his legs. Okay, my question is, what's that agency going to do for him? Yeah, are they going to are they going to toss him aside now that he's you know has has to have prosthetic legs? What are they going to do for him? I don't know. I guess time will tell. And I pray that, do, that they do the right thing and that they provide for him and his family. Uh, he's a human being. He's a human being who deserves, you know, he, he, he sacrificed his legs for his job. And now what are they doing? Exactly. Exactly. And, that, and this is something that we, we see literally every single day at the Wounded Blue. So um, where can people um, get the opportunity to view your film? Sure. The, the film is not publicly available yet, but it is available for agencies to purchase and for in-house use. And we're having screening events all over the country. If you go to PTSD911movie.com, you'll get all that information there. That's kind of a, the, the hub for our for our film. And we're also on all the socials, uh, PTSD911movie. Uh, follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, um, 
uh, all the social media sites and uh, people can check it out. There, you can check out the trailer on our website, ptsd911movie.com. And, but it will soon be available on all the streamers. So we'll announce that soon. As soon as uh, we get the, uh, the thumbs up from all the streamers, we'll be, we'll, we'll be rocking and rolling there for the general public to, to have access to the film. Fantastic. Well, I want thank you for taking the time to join me here at the Wounded Blue Hour. You're doing great work. Um, I know that, you know, every time you take on a project like this, it is a life-changing um, event for you. I mean, what, Absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the, I think that's one of the benefits of, of being a filmmaker is it's what a, what a, what a great journey, a personal journey that you get to take yeah. and the people that you get to meet. Um, and, uh, you know, you know that, I don't get, uh, I'm not getting rich doing documentaries, but I have a rich <laughs> life, you know, I have a rich life and that's what, you know, I get to meet fantastic people. I mean, I'd have never met you if I wouldn't made this film, you know, well, hell I've that's, that's all you need right there. <laughs> <laughs> of course, <laughs> but you know, I, I really, truly love what I do. I love meeting the people and now having launched the podcast, the, the, the first responder wellness podcast, I get to continue the conversation with people and uh, being able to tell those stories and to help other first responders uh, get to a better place. That's, that's really what I'm all about right now. Well, I want to thank you once again for taking the time to join me here uh, on my podcast. And, uh, and I, I wish you nothing but, but the best. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Randy. Well, as we come to a close, um, I hope that you enjoyed this show today and uh, you got something out of it. And I really, really urge you to do this. Um, well, there actually, there's two things I'm going to ask you to do. One is go to thewoundedblue.org and see who we are, see what we do. If you are in law enforcement and you're struggling, please reach out for help. You don't need to struggle alone. There are so many resources available for you. Everything from just peer support from, a, from somebody who cares, somebody who's walked in your shoes, to getting treatment. Uh, we have culturally competent psychologists and psychiatrists that we deal with all over the country. Um, we have uh, inpatient treatment available. Uh, we, we deal with some tremendous, uh, tremendous treatment centers. And also, you know, there's, there's, everybody's journey is unique. So please don't hesitate to reach out. I also implore you to help by donating to the Wounded Blue. Go to thewoundedblue.org, hit that donate button, give 10 bucks a month, give 20 bucks a month, whatever you can afford. Now, if you are a, a business, a corporation, and you want to become a sponsor of the Wounded Blue or one of our major events, such as the Law Enforcement um, uh, National Survival Summit. We've got some great events coming up. We've got some music, concerts, uh, fundraisers coming up. And you want to play a role in that and become a sponsor of that and let the law enforcement community know that you care, that, you're, that you support America's law enforcement. Please connect with me directly. I'm Randy at thewoundedblue.org. Randy at thewoundedblue.org. Reach out to me personally. And uh, the other thing I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do is uh, uh, there's a brand new book that just came out called October Strong. 
It's being, it was written, it's a novel, by a, uh, a SWAT officer with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. It is really a, an incredible novel. And, uh, and he's donating all of the royalties to the Wounded Blue. So go to Amazon and go to October Strong and get a copy of this book. Because not only will you get a great read, but you'll also be supporting the Wounded Blue. So go to uh, Amazon and uh, October Strong. Thanks for joining me here on the America Out Loud Network uh, for our show. And uh, remember, these people care about you. Never forgotten, never alone. I'm Randy Sutton.